Welcome to another episode of Livid. I mean, it might be the first one you're listening to because this is a podcast and you might just yeah. really love our, our guest. How are you, Helen? Oh, I'm all right, thanks, mate. Yeah, good. How are you? Anything made you cross this week? Ah, uh, just, you know, normal dropping my microphone on the floor and stupid shit like that. <laughs> and then having a panic attack because I thought that I had destroyed everything. But really, that's just that moment of reaction where you go straight to the worst possible <laughs> outcome. And then you sit there and you're like, I am such a terrible shitbag. Anyway, that's the only thing. I don't think I've been that ragey this week. I shouldn't say that, should I? We should always be ragey. That's our brand. We're constantly enraged about the world. So it's good to just have a bit of a break. Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. It's a brand new day and welcome to Livid. We're ready to get Livid <laughs> again with you. I don't I know who I keep turning is. into. <laughs> So we're really excited about the guest for this episode. She's incredible. Her name is Priscilla Adadi. She's a bilingual actress, producer and podcaster based in Brussels. And she's so fascinating and she's so brilliant. We've known Priscilla for a few years now. We met her doing a corporate acting job and we were just instantly drawn to her energy. And I think this episode it's a perfect celebration of her. She's just an excellent person and it was an absolute pleasure to chat to her. This is quite an exciting episode for me because there's a, a real biblical moment halfway through where an actual storm happens. She manages to summon an actual rainstorm. Just the power of her rage alone cracked open the heavens. Bringing that up, just a little Lauren Silver sound bug. Um, you might be able to hear a bit of rain towards the end. So apologies for that. But, you know, the sound of a rainstorm is pretty special. Priscilla does a whole bunch of things. I think that's one of the reasons why she is an interesting and inspiring person to talk to. She's been involved in politics in the House of Representatives in Brussels uh, to try and actively increase diversity and representation across art and across culture. So she's she's somebody who really acts in more ways than one. We spoke to her about one project that she is in the process of funding to go out and do at the moment, which is called Voices of Pansy and it's a podcasting project working with survivors of war rape in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The nature of this chat, rightly so, we go to some quite real places. So it's worth putting a, a trigger warning here at the start for sexual assault, just to be careful of yourself if that's something that's going to be difficult for you. Take care of yourself whilst listening to this. And, and also we'll put some links in the description of some places where you can get support if you've been affected by any of the subject matters that we talk about in the podcast. Okay, here's Priscilla. <laughs> There's somebody cutting down a tree about two doors down. Um, so there was a little bit of chainsaw noise in the last one that we recorded. And um, I was, I just, it just has made me, I sent quite a cross message on the WhatsApp, like street WhatsApp, but kept it quite open. Like, oh, does anybody know what that chainsaw noise is? Uh, a couple of people have replied and I said, if anybody's in control of the chainsaw noise, could we maybe put it on pause for an hour and try to record? And then loads of like prayer emojis and like <laughs> fingers crossed like, did nothing. it work <laughs> it stopped for now but ah. i'm just wondering whether that is just synchronicity that's really nice it's very british isn't it though as a person ah. though so they've stopped it but they're not gonna say it was me it's like yeah they was. probably send the prey emoji and then they're like okay i won't do that now <laughs> but they pretend they pretend that they're like hope so hope so good luck <laughs> have you been friend how's the last few Years. weeks months it's been. <laughs> um, how's it been? It's been amazing and really shit at the same time. It's kind of uh, both extremes, but um, a lot of really positive things have come out. I've learned to know myself a bit more. I've learned to deal with all my wounds, and well, not all of them, like a few, um, and try to sort them out. Like I quite like that. How COVID forces people to deal with their problems and it feels like a lot has to do with the home so whatever home you are at um you're stuck in it and all of a sudden you're like oh this is my home and this is what it feels like and you're like ah so that was that was uh, interesting 
But for me, I think it was a very positive thing. And I was a bit scared when it was done because the, the um, lockdown was lifted in Belgium, like, I don't know, a month, a month and a half ago. And I was like, oh, that, was, that wasn't long enough for us to fix um, like the societal issues that we have that I thought was great that COVID brought, which is like production and pollution and all that. And I was like, we didn't, we didn't have enough time to just get used to this. And now we've got a second wave. I'm like, ah, okay. The universe is still giving us a little bit more time to sort ourselves out because <laughs> uh, the job is not done. So that's a, uh, feels kind of purposeful too, right? It's like as, well, I don't know if it's different here or there, but it seems like as we got more and more towards the point of those systems being a bit more, uh, openly irrelevant or if not irrelevant then you know questioning the need for some of this stuff then it was like hard government push to uh reinstate it all as quickly as possible you know what i mean in case we might find a different way of living yeah exactly and it's like the universe stronger it's going to bring it back you can try but i mean we're probably going to have to lock down again and you can tell it's like nothing but that no we cannot close the shops again and it's like, yeah, we're probably going to have to. Uh, we're going to have to find another way to live. Unless we all just die. <laughs> Which is, in a way, another way to live. How has the general public taken to sort of things like wearing... I know you have to wear a mask now, but was there any... Was there a lot of pushback well, compared to here? You know, there's been so um, much no, pushback. We're, we're quite but, passive as yeah. a culture. So we're kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, now that we have to wear it, like... On every streets in Brussels, people are a little bit annoyed because it's really hot as well. So it's just the kids, like that's why we're having a second wave between 20 and 30 year old. And they're just having parties and just sharing fluids. So <laughs> and, then, and they don't die. And the thing is that they don't die. So it's not like, oh, everyone's dying because then we'll have to lock down again. It's just like we've got more cases of like 20s to 30s. And these are, yeah, just people raving and having sex. With strangers. I mean, they could have sex with their partners, which is with strangers. It's like, it's COVID mode. It's like all these people are like on apps, on like dating apps, we're talking to friends. And it's like, how, like, it's still COVID. How do you, like, you can barely see the people you know. How are you going to meet strangers and use like your five, five, the only five people you can see on randoms? They're probably catfishing you. (laughs) So I'm just a bit confused and definitely not sharing your fluids because you don't know who they are. Oh, it must be hard, though, to be even trying to approach dating in any way out of all of this. It's just like uh, put it on hold. But then, you know, that's kind of unfair to expect of everybody, I suppose, not knowing how long. I don't know. Maybe it's not unfair at all, but it's just a bit of a different scenario, isn't it? Maybe it's the universe showing you that you can, you know, be happy on your own and please yourself. I don't know. (laughs) There's other ways, you know, obviously nature calls, but... uh, all the relationships that are breaking down equally, it's like, oh, hey, let's see how you deal in this pressure cooker and decide what you really want. Yeah. Uh, shall, we, shall we play a little game now? Yes. So it's just going to be eight things that make you mad or eight things that grind your gears. Um, and we'll just do a quick fire. We'll count you in each time. Uh, yeah, anything that comes to you. And then we'll just let the chat flow on from there. Thing that makes you rage. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Number one. Uh, uh, assholes. <laughs> Number two. Uh, the, the lack of uh, taking care of the environment. Number three. Racist people. Number four. A small white man with a lot of power. Number five. Uh, periods. Number six. Injustice. Number seven. Um, Pedophiles. Ooh, yeah. Number eight. Uh, Submission. Yeah, Amazing. I was at eight. You did it. (laughs) It's so funny. When you're listing them, there's some that verbally make me, like, will make me want to join in. And there's some where I'm just sort of nodding quietly. But this is something before. You said periods and I was like, oh, yeah. Um, And then you said pedophiles and I was like... Oh yeah, it's like I felt like I had to make a verbal <laughs> agreement. So I, so you knew I hated both. Uh, I should just not 
say anything. <laughs> that was quite, there was, there was nothing, I would say, there was nothing sort of trivial in any of your notes. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. No. It's there was, great. It's the big stuff. There's no like, people walking slowly. It was like, nah. It's like, arseholes and paedophile. <laughs> Unless it's a small white arsehole paedophile who's walking slowly. <laughs> yeah, that one will piss me off. Not the walking. <laughs> Walking's fine. I'm pretty chilled. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, because you're saying, Lauren, about reactions. Like, you feel your reaction as you hear the things. And I had a really strange response when you said paedophiles. It, it feels like even, like, the mention of that, it's like it goes deep within you for some reason. And, you, and it's right. Like, of course, we should be angry with paedophiles or at paedophilia. But it's like such a... I, I, I'm only saying this because I only just realised it now in myself, that even the mention of it, like, goes deep in me in a kind of, like, really uncomfortable way. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it's like, it's this weird, like, kind of... It's nearly like a taboo. Even me saying it, like, when I was thinking, okay, what really makes you right? It's like little kids being used for sexual so I was like okay what's that word because I'm quite a, you know I've, I know my words so I was pedophile and just saying it was like oh like it brings this because I think we never really talk about pedophiles like you say pedophiles in a conversation it's just it, that's it you're party pooper yeah so everyone tenses up done. and it's and it's exactly like you say like that's the word for that thing and that's something that's happening and it's something that's happening often within institutions of power and all sorts of places where it's like, you know, it, it's just it's just so interesting to me that that just the word for something, which is the appropriate word for something, like, oh, like it makes you seize up. Yeah, it's right. We should say it. We're angry with the paedophiles. Fuck those paedophiles. Yeah, and we're more used to saying, like, little kids being abused. It's it, You know, it's like rape, like, you know, so this number of women have been raped this year and we never say this number of men have raped these women. And if you start saying it like that, it brings the same kind of chill. Like, oh, it's like 300 men have raped and killed women. It's like, oh. But we're so used to talk about the victims instead and that makes it easier. We talk about victims. Do you think it's something to do with the, where it's the ownership of who's the perpetrator, who's the who we put the blame on and when you talk about a woman being attacked um it's always about what the woman was wearing or what did they do to become a victim you need to go further back to the person who's doing it first as opposed to just going oh now we need it's reactive it's like oh this person's been attacked so we need to focus on what they did to be taught not to do that so you don't make yourself vulnerable and don't make yourself a victim yeah it's 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 about power it's about um the dominant so because like for rape with women, it's the men, it's the men. So we don't tend to blame the dominant because they, 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 they have the power. So they, they tell the stories. So it's basically a bunch of men, like you know, directors of media and news and whatever. And they're like, well, we're not going to say men have raped women. So that's what the discourse is going to be. It's going to be like women have been doing that. And that's what we're going to hear. And it's the same with racism. Like, we never talk about, like, we don't say this person, a white, white person has been racist towards a black person. But we will say a black person has suffered racism. And it's because the dominant is white and they don't want that story to be told. So we're going to put it all about the black person. Unless it's the black person or the, or the non-white person that commits a crime, this terrorist, and then we'll make sure that everyone knows the color of the person who's done it. But it's all about the dominant. And it's like, we're always, they, they're the ones telling the stories. And it has such a huge impact that, like, I saw something that I just really thought was interesting. And uh, it was about just being careful about language that you use of, uh, to say, like, race is not a barrier. White supremacy is a barrier. Being woman, Being a woman is not a barrier. Patriarchy is a barrier. Being LGBTQI is not a barrier homophobia, transphobia is the barrier. And I just think like even things like that, it's so important to start to pick that apart now and to to start to get into those kind of details that do make us remember that, especially, you know, me as a white person and white people in general, to remember that we're 
we're at the center of this story, not as like that it's our voices that need to be listened to, but that as that to name the perpetrator or to name the system that is perpetrating that kind of violence. Yeah, I think it's 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 really time. I don't know if, how long it's going to take because it's so ingrained in our lives. Like even even the quote unquote victims or the survivors or the people that have been abused have that. We're all conditioned, so we all have that same dialect. We all have the same um, way of talking, and so it's 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 so hard. Like I always think, like when it comes to racism or colonization or colonialismism, um, that it will probably take as long as it took to install because it's a system that was installed to remove and it's, I'm not sure we're gonna we're gonna see it and it's the same with sexism it's the same probably sexism is maybe older I don't know I think it's probably the same um we're talking like thousands of years of well thousands at least two, <laughs> two yeah. thousands of years of um discrimination against uh women and non-white people but it's good that we're starting the work and we're starting to feel more conscious but um, that's one thing that makes me enraged. Like it's there's so much work, and it seems that a lot of progressives that are already like kind of conscious about it, they're they're not doing like the real deep work, and so it kind of stalls. And it's I I because I I circulate in a lot of like progressive spheres or feminists and anti racists and stuff. But it's like yeah, no, we're you know we're conscious, we know, but they're still very racist and sexist. Some of them and. It's like, no, no, you need to know. If you know, then you know that you still need to work on this. Um, and that's where it gets really frustrating. Like, a, you know, a racist man who's upfront and clearly stupid about it. I'm like, yeah, okay, you don't know. That's fine. Um, at least we can, we can see. But those are kind of like, no, we're, we're so open. And they don't even see that they still got work to do. I think those are the ones that will stop us from actually achieving the goal. But I still got faith. <laughs> I'm glad that you do. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean it needs, you know, that that's the thing with working towards changing anything. Uh, you know what I mean? That 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 faith and hope is kind of part of that, but it's not always uh I'm sure not always easy to have. Yeah, I think it's interesting that thing of it's almost like what we all need to do is to be like you said, it's like open to that continual learning, open to being wrong and open and thankful for being corrected as a continuous way of being forever, as opposed to going, okay, cool, I heard it, it's done. Take the focus back off me now because it just brings you back round into the exact same dichotomy that you were in before. And now it's like a whole nother way to shut that conversation down. Yeah, it's like, well, I'm, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not racist, I'm not sexist. No, you can just leave me alone. But it's, it's like meditation or yoga, or whatever. You gotta keep on practicing, and then as soon as you stop, you're, you're done. So you gotta keep on tra- practicing every day. But I, I had this, this thing. So I'm, I'm a, a candidate for an artistic direction of one of the big theaters in Brussels, and I've got this group of uh, uh, women from uh, theater, and I'm the only black or non-white person actually applying for that position. It's a big one. And there's a lot of people that will apply. And uh, and I found that insane. And that's when also they're just saying that I'm conditioned too. And I've got privileges too. And that when I realized that, first of all, I was telling everyone, like, how come? There's something we're missing in our group because clearly it's very white feminist. And then also, how come I feel legitimate to be here and to apply for this position as much as some of you do who have, like, 30 years of experience and, you know, just got s- s- way more experience than I do. And and I found that really interesting. And I tried, I, obviously I'm not perfect, but I'm really trying every time, especially when I find myself the only non-white person in a white sphere, wondering what is it that I have that makes me feel comfortable in this space? Because I shouldn't be, because a lot of people looking like me don't feel like it. And then I realized, yes, the European school, I went to a very liberal school that develops your critical side, um, uh, yeah, side, and then also makes you feel like, I mean, the kids of the European commissioners were so, like, confident. We believe we can achieve anything, because that's what our parents did. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's my privilege, or that I am well-traveled, and I, I know I'm smart. I've been told so many times. So all these things, I'm like, okay, so this is what makes me feel 
kind of like a white person in a way, you know what I mean? Like, like kind of like in the in the in the systemic way of I can be in that room, I can have that position, I can. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting to even question yourself, even as a black woman. And when you've asked the question, for example, like you asked, why am I the only black person applying or black woman? I don't know if it's specifically just for women as well, but black woman applying. What are the responses from other people? If you're able to recognize you feel it's coming from a privilege that you have, are other people recognizing that in you? You know, what are their responses? No, the, the, the first response is really to actually um, wonder, because we have other non-white people in our group. It's like about a thousand women. Um, and they were like, yeah, we've realized that the non-white women don't feel um, as, com- uh, as comfortable in the group. And so we were going to ask them, what makes it that you don't feel comfortable? And then thankfully, because I just got enraged hearing that, another white woman was like, I think it's time for us to question ourselves like especially during covid we've all had so much time to read all these books and like there was black lives matter movement we know that it's us the problem so rather than asking people ah oh, why don't you want to come into my group why don't you like my culture well it's time for us to shift and question what can we do within our group to change so that it will attract black or non-white women rather than again asking them oh, so uh what was the problem like did you not feel comfortable what did I do like no yeah. like take away the burden from those people and let's question ourselves so I was like thank god she was there and said that uh but the rest of the room was very much like ah that's weird we don't understand let's ask them like really that's entirely what so many of these problems are about is about trying to get people to come up to meet the people that are privileged whether they're a man or they're a white man or they're a white person to go you need to cut you can come we'll bring you up to where we are well this is the only option we're going to bring you up to us how can we do that or really should we be looking at how we actually shift the whole system and that needs to change even i suppose that idea of come up like up or down like a sort of white centric viewpoint being the up and anything else being the down you know i think like there's just there's so many things that we need to uh like you're saying change the entire way that we're looking at it we as white people especially are looking at it and you know value systems and how we measure everything about what we're kind of part of really I suppose. There's a lot of conversation around decolonizing the space and the brains and, that, and that's what it is it's a, it's a those were the foundations of colonization it was like we're gonna bring them civilization we're gonna bring them to our level we're gonna bring them up and um, and that's still how people think like a lot of people still think that that we have the civilization like we have the knowledge. You even see it, I mean, in the work we do, we guys did together, like, it's still there. Like, you know, big organizations, big NGOs that are going to Africa and asking them to have green energy when, like, because that's, you know, that's the Western world. That's where we are now. When they didn't have the whole time of just having horrible energy and we're just, yeah, but those are the standards. And if you not, you don't go there, we won't give you the funds. And, and it's, it's just so unfair, but it's still like, we know it better, like, which, yeah, which is not true. <laughs> like, now we know it, it's not true. And we're having a little bit of, you know, realizing like silly things like wearing shoes, how now experts are saying that it's better to be barefoot because shoes are not good for you. When before it was like, oh, there's African savages that would run around without shoes. Let's give them shoes and let's give them clothes. And now everyone just want to, you know, go back to loving the nature and walking in the woods without shoes and going to nature's camp and all that. It's like, you fucking kill people because they were doing that. They were were not civilized. And now you want to do that again. Or like going back to yoga when, when you invaded India, you just removed all that and said, no, you need to love the Christ. <laughs> and now you're all singing mantras and paying a fortune <laughs> to do just that. <laughs> and now that we've discovered that, yeah. we can sell it back to the rest of the world as yeah. the next level in all of our evolution. Yeah, it's those behaviours and those attitudes of like, 
oh, oh, we want that now. So we're going to take it and own it for yeah. ourselves. And then we're going to pass this back to teach everybody that this is the way it should be because we've just we've just whitewashed it. Yeah. And then we've just gone, there you go. Now and it's... added capital and added value. Yeah. Now it's really expensive to do yoga when it's meant to be free. Yeah. But that's the Western touch to it. That's the cherry on the cake. Oh my God, we can't do anything. Seriously, we can't do anything without adding some kind of fucking corporate value to it and then pocketing it. Like, seriously. It's so important, these discussions, and also I think that thing of just knowing that the discussions will will keep being more and more important as we're all reaching levels where we can actually delve in our initial education, even people that are waking up to these things and the reality of these systems are still obviously at a certain level. That means that we are not yet ready to join the deeper conversations and where it actually needs to be had. And maybe that's why it's going to take a while. And I really hope that it doesn't have to take as long to, uh, demolish as it took to establish because like you say thousands of years of horrendous oppression we don't really have time for thousands of years of gently creeping out of it you know yeah we'll be dead and the planet won't exist yeah yeah (laughs) sorry grandchildren (laughs) great grandchildren i wanted um to tie a couple of the things you said together because of the project that you're setting up at the moment for the Voices of Pansy, I wondered what initially drew you or pushed you to working on this project. Is there a part of your rage that initiated that response? Oh yeah, it was definitely uh, rage funded. I was, um, uh, when did I find out about this situation? Uh, maybe 10 years ago? Because um, I've got friends who work very closely with uh, Dr. Mukwege. And so he told me about it. And I was so angry and I was like, what can I do? But there's, they're surgeons. And at the time it was, it was just doing surgery. So I couldn't. So I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll just wait. And, um, and actually my friend was quite annoyed at me because he was like, why do you care? Like, why do you care about women in the Congo? And you're from Belgium and origin from Togo and Benin and you've got enough on your plate. And I was like, I don't know why I care, but I really, I really care like deep, deep down. And that's where I want to put my energy into um and it took about yeah eight years for me to find out how to do it and then when I started my own podcast and Maspir and I was like well that's something I actually find it surprisingly easy to do maybe that's just my silly smart brain but I I thought you know it's quite it's not that hard You, you got your laptop your mic and if you're a little bit like IT intelligent or flexible you can find your way around it quite quickly and I was like well if I could do it that fast surely I can share that with them and I I wanted to help them especially the survivors of um, rape of war which is it's a it's a weapon that's been used since forever like there's a lot of studies about how rape um, especially of women and babies has always been used in war times to um, really kill the whole uh, family and the whole civilization because what they do like it's it's that's why it's said it's said as a weapon of war it's a real weapon like they don't do it just for like sexual pleasure or whatever no they they destroy so it's usually not just with their genitals they use weapons and they destroy the entire um, uh, uh, reproductive system. Um, so that they can't have children anymore. And also they make the husband watch. And then sometimes the son rape their mum so that they're psychologically completely destroying the family. And then there's a lot of stigma around women and some men and babies that have been raped so that they're pushed away from the village after it's happened because they're soiled. Soiled? Um, and... Um, so I wanted them, because my podcast is called Ed Must Be, and I interview women that inspire me, and I, I find those women really inspiring in the way that they uh, have a resilience. Like, their resilience is just... I mean, I don't know how I would live after something like that, uh, so traumatic. And I, so I wanted to hear their stories, and I, and I realized that also when you do one-on-one podcasts like that, it feels for the person that's being interviewed... It feels like a therapy. There's something about, we don't, in media, we don't really use that time 
to just share your life story as well. So it's from your birth all the way to where you're now. And there's something very therapeutic about it that I wanted them to be able to have and most importantly also to share their story to the world that although Dr. Mukwege has won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2018, I was surprised how many people didn't actually know about it and didn't know about the situation in DRC, this war that's been going on for 30 years, for things that we use on a daily basis, which is the minerals and the cobalt, which make our phones and our laptops. Um, and the international community is keeping that zone as a war zone so that they can steal those minerals and then make all our um, electronic devices quite cheaply, but then they're making quite a big of a benefit. And we're now fundraising because obviously um, it, it costs a lot to go and we want them to have the material. So we want to bring all the material so that they can keep it and keep on doing their own podcasts after we're gone. And then we want to be able to hire one of them for three years so that they can have a job and then um, be able to have like um, distant, like remote um, technical support over three years. So we're going there to like teach them how to make their own podcast and then distribute it and maybe monetize it. Um, so that also it brings jobs and technical skills and is therapeutic. Such a powerful project, like um, the therapeutic side of things and also giving people a platform to keep empowering themselves out of really unimaginable horrors that have been put upon them. I mean, I don't, well, I hope, I don't want to brag about it, but it really feels like that's something that they were missing because they already have, like, it's great, pansy. They have, so there's the, the hospital, so they get physically treated, but they also have a whole holistic um, a follow-up so they can stay up to two years and then learn skills. So we're going to be part of, well, we're working with the Mouvement National des Survivantes, which is detached, but um, basically it's, it's after the operation. It's, it's how you can reconstruct yourself after the operation. And at the moment, it's more like manual skills that they're really working on, and they've got a bit of IT but hopefully, if we get to do this, it, it can develop in other things. That they can they can um, do different podcasts. Obviously, like if they want to do a music, like they do music therapy. Maybe if they want to have a musical podcast and then be put on on national uh, radio as well, or whatever subject they want to do. And then hopefully, we can move to video as well, so they can have like their own like proper media um, to express themselves and do what they want I think I mean they're really excited for us to come and we're so excited and we really hope that it's going to be as um, life-changing in a way as as it can be would you say that so much of your activism for want of a better word is fueled by you you know you learn about something it fires an emotion in you it seems like you develop and fight that but through a creativity so this is through people being creative and you being creative through giving them the opportunity to have a voice um do you find that in other work that you do I feel like there's this fire in you yeah I think you're right yeah I've always been uncomfortable with the word activist um and then someone said you're you're an art architect Artrivist, like it's a mix of activist in French. I think it works a little bit better. Um, but yeah, totally. And I, I relate to the quote, um, take a broken heart and make it into art. And that's always how I, I've, I wanted to be an actress to change the world. That was why. I was like, it's through art that you change the world. And I think because art has changed me. Um, various, you know, through films and applied art and dance and music, I was able to survive this crazy world. And so for me, it's always been through that that I can help others now that I'm, I'm a master at it. <laughs> like I can, I, I've got the skills and the tools. I can now share it with others so that they can use it because it's something so uh, essential to every human being like even people who say people who say I'm not an artist it's a lie like they just haven't haven't been able to haven't been given the tools but like there's something artistic in each and every single one of us um it's just sometimes we don't know um because art is life like that's I mean was it your prime minister during the second world war who was it was it Churchill, Churchill that said um he wanted. He maintained um, the, the the money towards culture 
during the war because he was like, if, if we don't keep uh, art and culture, then what are we fighting for? It's like, that's life. That's, that's what we're fighting for, to be able to have art and culture. I think that's what it is. I mean, if we remove culture from the world, I, I don't know what we've got left. Money. But then what do we spend money on? Yeah. Apart from like cars and houses. It feels like that's uh, ever rolling forward at the moment, certainly that we're sort of facing that um, that public argument of are the arts worth funding properly and saving properly, especially in the midst of this pandemic. And, you know, I think a lot, a lot of people, most people would probably say, yeah, <laughs> but and it's it's surprising that um, but maybe it's not surprising that that's something that's so quickly seen as frivolous or luxurious or you know the idea that self-expression is just like something that we can do without when really like you said it's life why are we why are we living this life and what are we how you know how we express um and create is such an important part of all of that yeah i think we we've we've started treating art like uh the air that we breathe like kind of really mistreating it we just use it and consume it without acknowledging how rare and special it is and and that's a big problem so I'm I'm pushing everyone to just strike I'm like all artists let's just strike and let's just give the taste to the world of what it feels like without art but that means like you can't have houses because architects are artists you know you can't have anything like wallpaper someone had to think about the color uh, the car you drive, someone had to think about its shape. You know, like everything. The clothes we wear, that's art. So it's literally, let's remove everything. And especially during COVID, let's not listen to music. Let's not watch Netflix. Let's not listen to the rate. Like, we're, we, we'd be dead. I mean, it was hard enough. But without art, you know, it's like... Especially, like you say, there's such, there's such a vast range in which art is used and culture is used. But I would definitely say over here at this stage, you know, a lot, we're losing a lot of our theatres and a lot of our creative arts and especially just around the whole of the UK is going and dissolving. It's every day there's another theatre that's having to look at do redundancies and restructuring. So it's amazing that you know, we can go from quoting Churchill to say that we need art, we need, we need culture to help our, our countries and we need to help keep supporting that. And then on the other hand, we've got the other side of it going, but we're not going to give them any money or there's going to be no support. And it's like you say, I think people think the arts, it's just one one type of thing that we don't need at this stage but actually it's vast and the inspiration that it the tool the fact that it can be used as a tool to help people i think we're going to really feel the hit over the next couple of years of That'd the be shift. awful so what your government hasn't put any money in to support the industry they have now but it took it took a couple of months so a lot of companies have been hit they they issued 1.5 billion but that's across everything so a lot of the smaller theatres and uh, sort of grassroots didn't get a look in. Almost all live comedy nearly went before they went, oh, yeah, live comedy venues, OK. But it's almost too late for some venues. We've lost quite a lot of theatres, so. It's horrible because even, yeah. like, I'm fighting here just to get... So we got quite a lot of support, but also to be able to support the artists. I know you guys don't have that, like, the artist status. Yeah. Let's not get into that. No. <laughs> so then I'm just fighting for those who don't have that. Um, because even the people, the artists that don't work, they used to, you know, have a little job in the restaurant and stuff. So all of that was shut down for a while. And then, um, they, so they can't, so they can't even do their art, like just on the side, like they used to. And even if they were not really working, but they were like trying to become like real artists and quote unquote, we need even those because they, like any artist that have made it, quote unquote, has gone through that, like, whole of not working for a little while and that's what fuels creativity as well that's how you become creative because you got to find other ways to work and and make your art and really see that's what you want to do so I'm even pushing for those ones that are not technically recognized artists to get some money so that when we come out of this illness um they'll still be there otherwise they're going to find other jobs and we'll lose a whole new bunch of artists that were meant to emerge 
I feel like as well as artists and as creatives, it's so easy to doubt yourself and to feel like, like you say, so if you're not working for a little while or you're working on a project that may or may not actually become anything that, you know, it's, it's quite easy to not put yourself in that, not want, not be comfortable to put yourself in that bracket of go, I am an artist, you know, and I am that whether I'm working in a in a restaurant for for a little while or whether I'm working in a call center for a little while because that's just the reality of life sometimes you know what does the artist status uh give how how does that kind of cover people um in Belgium and does that does that help do you think with that sense of self-esteem oh yeah Uh, any artists based in the UK or around the world because actually there's only two countries that have that status just France and us um, is going to die hearing this. But yeah, there's a, the Belgian government um, gives you kind of a fixed salary once you have been able to prove that you're an established artist. So, I mean, obviously, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect system, but at least it gives you some security. So if you have 156 hours uh, or days of work over 18 months, you can you can apply and then to keep it it's really easy every year and you get about between 700 and 1400 a month when you don't work but then as we know artists always work so it's kind of the government just saying we know that the way you work is not the same as any normal job quote-unquote and because we appreciate your job and we want you to just keep on doing that we're going to compensate for the time that our system doesn't allow you to get paid. Because technically, artists work all the time. Like, I don't think there's one day that I'm not inspired or I, I don't think of my craft. Or You know, you, don't, you, get, you get a play and then the director asks you to come uh, off script. Well, when did you learn that? Yeah. Or, you know, you, you start writing something and then it doesn't work, whatever. That's part of the process. Um, so artists work all the time, but our capitalistic systems don't uh, allow us to get paid for all that money. So the government takes that responsibility. And it does give you... I remember when I got it, which was technically quite late, um, as like for my age, like I got it at 34 um, it was like liberation because then I was like, okay, I don't need to struggle anymore. Like, I, it's okay. Like, at least forever, as long as I work about three days a year, I will keep that status. Is that it? Is that as long as you can prove that you've been paid by an establishment or not? Yeah, so more or less. Like, it's it's a little bit more complex, but it's more or less like three days and like a hundred hours. Okay. a year once once you get it to get on it's a little bit harder like 156 days it's about three plays maybe over 18 months oh gosh okay. so it's so it's, it's not that easy but then there's no. different ways because obviously you can you can use like you know filming and other stuff oh, okay. um, it's just anything that's artistic so it doesn't have to be just one job. I know, don't cry. I wish that they even thought about this kind of thing in this kind of way, because oh. it's just, it's so right what you're saying about the amount of work that you do constantly that, yeah, it might not end up going anywhere, or you might write and rewrite and rewrite something, or you might, you know, it's that, the, you know, certainly our system feels like it's based on this thing of the assumption that people are lazy and the assumption that people are trying to get Get away with getting benefits and sitting on their bums you know what I mean and it's just like there's a misunderstanding a lack of understanding around that process and how long that process sometimes has to take and if you if you aren't able to give yourself that time and give yourself that that almost that permission in some ways to live that to be that to go through your process then how can you create yeah and I think you're right like the lack of understanding that's one big thing that actually pisses me off is how People think an artist is, like, you know, when you say I'm an actress, it's like, oh, wow. It's like, really? Like, you don't know how hard that was. Like, it's it, it's easier to become a doctor, actually, or a lawyer. Um, not going to diss any doctors or lawyers, but, like, I studied law. I mean, as long as you can, you know, read and remember things. Like, it's, you know, and that's what we do as our actresses. I was going to say, it's the same, isn't it? It's the same job. You read and you remember stuff. 
Except that we don't get, like, you know, the, the proper job at the end that's, like, guaranteed forever. So imagine if you're listening and you're a doctor and, like, every three months you're done. You have to find another job yeah. again. Yeah, it's a uh, thunderstorm. <gasps> it's coming. Okay, It's, it's raining, but it's, like, super bright as well. Um, so it's going to have a rainbow. This reminds me of an amazing, incredible story that you told once just about that dichotomy, that's the right word, of being an artist, where you'd said that you'd gone to a really glitzy, fancy ceremony the night before. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's my favourite story. When people are like, oh, it's amazing, and I just want to just, you know, be like, no, but this is the reality. So, cause, um, so our allowance system is going through, actually, that's where it's not perfect, it's going through the benefit system. So actually, we're technically unemployed people who are going through that same system. So we need to go in and check in every month uh, with our cards. And so I went to like the Magritte, which is the equivalent of the BAFTAs or whatever, like the big fancy award show the night before, finished at six o'clock in the morning, completely wasted. And I had to wake up an hour later to go to the employment unemployment office <laughs> to check in to get my money and I was like that's the reality of our jobs do you ever wonder why um uh, this is what I always think uh, for any actors or creatives that work a job where there's food and everyone is obsessed with like if it's you know if there's catering on a on a shoot or the job that we all met Helen and I met you doing where it's a corporate job where we just talk about the lunch well (laughs) I definitely do I'll be like what's for the break like anything that's around food and this regular getting really nice meals and having something amazing to eat on your first day of a shoot drives actors or any company that I've ever worked for would sit and have lunch and be ready and waiting to talk about the food it's because just getting those like delicious dinners we're just any actor is just obsessed knowing that like maybe a week later when you're not working you don't have an income you're probably just gonna eat the same like sandwich for a week or not the one sandwich you might have seven <laughs> one sandwiches one of the reasons why I had to leave the UK because it was it was becoming not the food the yeah, well, food I mean <laughs> that too but <laughs> um, no it was more you know the, the, what it was to be an artist like I didn't feel like I was allowed to be what I wanted to be like really live as an artist like um, actually enjoy being creative and, and doing my craft, it ended up being looking for the next job to pay my rent or have my nice meal, uh, which would be on set or offset. But you know, like it was, and 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 that I was like, well, that's not why I got into the industry for um, to kind of. It's not even be like any other person doing a normal job because you don't even have that security. So it was even worse. But having the same thing driving your. Uh, need for work which was to be able to eat or pay your rent I was like I don't I'm not an artist to just think about money all the time and how am I going to pay my rent next month if that if that's what it is then I'd rather be a lawyer you know like if I want to change the world then you know being an artist would not be the easiest way to do it um, and that yeah that that pissed me off too because I, I like the UK it was nice <laughs> you don't have but to pretend. Yeah. <laughs> I said I liked. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Oh, I'm good. on board. I um, hate it more every day. Yeah, and it's definitely the case. I was working last week in Switzerland. Or if ever I've worked anywhere that's not in the UK, and they're like, "Ah, oh, UK's really fucked it." The first job I ever did when Brexit all happened, and then I was in Germany, and they were like, "What the fuck's going on?" I was like, "Okay, it's fine, everyone. Let's just keep going." It's <laughs> well, I'm still allowed to work here. It's consistent us having to apologise for all the fuck-ups of our country. And then I think, at least, we don't live in America. Yeah. I mean, Brexit and Corona, you're fucked. I don't know. There's a lot of money coming out of... uh of the EU for the arts as well. I don't know if you guys got any of it. No, like, I don't know now. where it's... We can't... We don't have any access to that now, I don't think, any of it. I know a lot of people are kind of in denial because they're like, yeah, well, it's done, it's done, it is what it is. Um... It's not. I think you still can... Maybe there's something you can still do. I don't know. I still got hope until... It's not over until it's over. I think it's... You've gone until 23. Everybody just thought the biggest... The worst thing in the world was going to be... Was going to be Brexit. And then we hit what we've hit. And now a new recession. I think the little glimmers of hope that we've talked about earlier on are the things that we grasp onto. And I think 
for example, this podcast for Helen and I is definitely a response into feeling like we feel angry. We understand that there is something here that's always been here and we want to explore that with other people. And this still gets to become through a creative way. It's using that tool and that energy for a place where we want to, this is our, I think activism is a strange word. I agree. I'm trying to think of a different, is it like maybe reactivism I don't know like we're reacting to something but it feels like we're being charged into pushing ourselves to want to do something as opposed to sitting back and just being so cross and upset that everything's being taken from everyone not just the arts but yeah yeah. I think that's probably the best way of dealing with things like that it's uh I mean you can there's always you know get into politics and stuff like that and I I started doing a bit of that and then now I'm just like I kind of just want to be more practical and actually act more like whether it's acting acting or just become the director of a theater or like working also in film production I'm like I kind of just talking about it and just trying to get all the politicians to agree on one thing blah, blah, blah. it's too long it's not you it's not creative enough mm. it's not as direct and uh, indeed we're very lucky to have this new media just podcasting to share our anger or anything else that we want yeah for sure it's really cool thank, thank you guys for asking you. me yeah of course you're fascinating and wonderful and yeah. uh so inspiring and great so yeah wow. thanks for coming on yeah. <laughs> and there's always going to be a uk bashing when you're on when we chat to you i tried yeah. to it was like it's going to be listened by no. brits they're going no, to you know what that's what we need it's the we need to we the brits need to hear this or the brits need to friggin reckon with ourselves yeah. you know what I mean this is well, why do you think it was one of the reasons why we asked you perspective that we're not going to get from within inside the island <laughs> the <Yeah>. island <laughs> uh, I forgot to plug that one in it's the all right <laughs> that cut's going in we'll put that bit in <laughs> Just so everyone can comment. What did you call us? We're not an island. We are the world. We are the empire. Thanks, Priscilla. Priscilla. We are going to link all of the information that Priscilla talked about in the description, including the GoFundMe page where you can donate to the Voices of Pansy project. Yeah, her social media accounts and um, relevant websites too, so that you can keep an eye on what she's doing and any future projects going forward. Also, as we said at the beginning, if you've been affected by any of the issues that were discussed in this episode and you want to look for help and support, we're going to link some good resources in the episode description as well. It's obviously really important important stuff thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time hear you next time (laughs) you'll hear us next time time. bye (laughs) you can tweet the show using hashtag livid podcast or follow us on instagram at livid podcast and share what makes you furious livid is brought to you by playwell with music by ashani parapanayagam thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode